Well, Jay, before you start that podcast, I just got to take care of some personal stuff. My mom and dad are in the house today, and uh, they're up here on the front row. Just wave at them, Mimi and Papa right there. They are, uh, I won't tell you how old they are, but they look a lot younger than they really are. And uh, if you have any questions about my boyhood, there they are, all right? Don't ask them now, but maybe after our service. So uh, we're so thankful for them. Uh, you know, the Bible says that we are to honor our father and mother. And that's, that's actually a command that came with a promise that you'll live long. So I'm gonna live longer now because I've just shown them honor to you. So, uh, so we're so glad to have them here with us and uh, so glad that you're here with us as well. Welcome to Calvary. We're so glad that you're with us, whether you're here in the room, watching us online on YouTube or Facebook, listening to our podcast. We're so glad that you are here with us today. We are in week number four of a series that we have called Counterculture. We're looking at the life and the book of Daniel from the Old Testament, how he lived firm in a godless culture. And that's where we are today. We're kind of like in a modern-day Babylon, a culture that is far from God, that, that rejects him as the center of our worship and instead puts us at the center of everything. And so uh, I just want to take a moment real quick and, and let you know that um, we don't hate the people of culture. Okay, there are certain things that grieve the heart of God in our culture today, and when we call them out, it's, it's not because we're mean people. It's because we have to stay true to the word of God. In fact, it's because we love you. You know, real love has to, to call out truth in grace. We talked about that in, in week number one as well. So it's truth and grace, and so we want to present to you the full gospel, now, some church growth experts will tell you, you know, you just need to stay in a couple of different lanes if you want to see some real church growth, right? But, but we're not really about that here because here's the deal. One day, I'm going to have to stand before God, and it's not going to go well for me if God looks at me in the eye and says, hey, Benny, you didn't tell them everything. You just told them the stuff that tickled their ear, Okay, as a shepherd, we want to keep our sheep safely in the fold, okay? So uh, we present you the full gospel, but it's out of heart of love. Amen, everybody? So we've been looking at the life and the book of Daniel. Today we're gonna be in Daniel chapter five. You can turn there now if you'd like. Actually, we'll be there in just a few moments. Uh, last week, we looked at old King Nebuchadnezzar. And how even after acknowledging as the one true God, he had a firsthand account of the miracle working power of Yahweh. He saw three Hebrew boys that he threw into a blazing fiery furnace, but they came out unhinged, un, not even smelling like smoke. Uh, I said un, uh, unsinged, not unhinged. <laughs> unsinged, didn't even smell like smoke. Uh, so he came to uh, acknowledge him, but, but he kind of forgot about him. And so we looked at uh, Daniel chapter four last week and how he lived with this Babylon mentality. Life became all about him, his glory. Look at this amazing palace. He even had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world built in his palace. He thought that life was all about him. He had reached a, a high level in life, but it came crashing down quite quickly. We, we read about how he was banished to the wilderness, lived in insanity like a wild animal for a period of time until he came back and recognized 
Jesus, or the Lord as the one true God, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And so he, at first, was living with the Babylon mentality that rejects the idea that God is to be exalted. Instead, I should be exalted. But fortunately for him, before it was too late, he turned back to the Lord. And so today, as we are in chapter number five, we are going to look at another of culture's strategy. You know, one of culture's strategy is to distract us and to deceive us. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Culture is all about distraction and deception. The enemy's strategy is to distract us from our true purpose, which is to follow the one true God and to live for him. And how they'll do that is is culture will deceive us. And they'll come with all these promises of wealth and power and success and riches and popularity, anything they can do to get you off of your real purpose, which is to serve God. Satan always distracts and deceives by giving us a cheap alternative. You know, I've been reading in my, uh, not only am I doing the soap reading, but I'm doing the Bible in a year. And I just read about how Moses came to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And then God said, you know, I'm going to empower you, Moses. There's going to be 10 plagues. And at first, Pharaoh's magicians, they, they were able to duplicate the first three of the plagues. Satan always has this cheap, fake thing, but it's not the real deal. Real living happens when we live a life surrendered to him. Okay, I want you to live your best life. Okay, most pastors would tell you that. The way we do that is when we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So in chapter five, we meet another king now who's sitting on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar has died. He was on the throne for about 44 years. But since he's died, Babylon is now in decline. There's been some revolts and some upheavals, even some assassination attempts And so now there's another king who is sitting on the throne in Babylon. His name is Nabodius, and he has a son that he rules alongside with named Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar is not Daniel. Remember, Daniel was given a Babylon name, Belteshazzar. Actually, both Belshazzar and Belteshazzar mean the same thing, protect the king. But this is not Belteshazzar. Daniel, this is Belshazzar who is now ruling in Babylon. For whatever reason, his dad is not on the throne. I don't know if he's ill or was killed in battle. But for whatever reason, Belshazzar is now the king in charge. So that's now the context for Daniel chapter 5. And we will begin in verse 1. It says this, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So remember, week one, we talked about how King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, the southern part of Israel, invaded Jerusalem, took all of them captives, exile, and also raided the holy temple of God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar would have been Belshazzar's probably grandfather, but whatever, it can be translated as his predecessor, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So now in this party, they're drinking from the sacred items that they stole from the temple of God. 
So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised not the one true God. They praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So get the picture. Belshazzar is living it up. And so he's throwing this giant party. So as you can imagine, things are probably spiraling out of control. There is some drunkenness, intoxication, and and sin and wickedness that kind of comes along with that kind of behavior. And so as it spirals out of control, Belshazzar has this idea, hey, why don't we bring the gold and silver goblets from the temple of God, from those Hebrew people? Why don't we use those and let's drink wine and get drunk from them? Sacred items that were set apart for the Lord. Holy items set apart for his service. Belshazzar brings them out, desecrates them by using them for worship of the idols of Babylon. Handmade idols of their own making, of gold and bronze and silver and wood and all of that. Man-made idols and gods. They were in a frenzy giving glory to gods of their own making. They were worshiping handmade gods. Look at what we created. Aren't we amazing? Let's worship these idols using God's sacred items for man's blasphemous worship. That's what he was doing. And how many of you could recognize that we live in a world just like that. Absolutely no fear, no reverence for the things of God. No fear, no reverence of God in our American culture today. We have desecrated those things that were once set aside and dedicated as holy unto the Lord, like the institution of marriage, which is now being redefined and defiled to fit culture like the sanctity of life. I just loved seeing the thousands of people that were in Washington, D.C., marching for life. God is pro-life. All of us are created in his image. But yet we as a culture, we've rejected that idea and, and have seen them as just something that can be disposed of. Did you know outside of hunger, abortion is the number one killer in the entire world? Abortion, those things that were set aside as holy unto the Lord, we've now desecrated and dismissed. Our schools now cater to special interests instead of God's truth and the principles we find from his word. The very foundation of our one nation under God is cracking and and buckling under the weight of self-indulgence and mockery and rejection of God. We are desecrating the things of God. Now, again, please hear my heart. We do not hate the people of culture. God loves everyone so much that he sent his one and only son. It's his will that no one perish. It's his will that everyone come to know and serve Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But he is holy and righteous and just. And as such, if We do not turn from wickedness and evil. There will be consequences for those who refuse to do so. 
So let's look at what happens to Belshazzar next, verse five. Suddenly, so with this big frenzy, this big party, drunkenness, intoxication, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared. This is kind of like out of a horror movie. <laughs> a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. And he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men uh, came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale and his nobles were baffled. They didn't know what to tell him. So get the picture, Belshazzar's uh, party is coming to a screeching halt as they witness this hand beginning to write on the wall. And he is scared to death. Right, The blood has drained from his face. He's pale. He's weak-kneed. His strength has left him. He can barely stand on his own. It's almost as if he knew he was in for it. I know I, I am in for it now. What is going on here? That's the thing about ungodly, unholy living. Even in the most wicked, unrighteous, unbecoming, unbecoming blasphemous behavior, deep down, culture knows what they're doing is wrong. I truly believe that. They might in the moment be drunk with excitement and intoxication of the gods that they have made, but God has put inside of each and every one of us a conscience. We came factory installed with a moral compass when we were born. Paul said it like this to the Romans, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. That implies they know it. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. People know they're suppressing the truth. They, they know that the activities they're participating in is ungodly. We instinctively know what is right and what is wrong. But most of culture chooses to suppress that truth in exchange for living life the way we think we should live life. Just do away with the Bible, do away with God's principles, and we live life for ourselves. Deep down, Belshazzar knew there was a higher power. He knew there was a God. He had heard the stories of his grandfather. He didn't create himself. He wasn't able to get himself to that high level in life. So he sees the handwriting on the wall and now he is scared to death. So he calls in all of these wise people, all of these diviners and astrologers and magicians and consultants and they can't help him. They can't translate the message. They're like, I'm sorry, king, there's nothing we can do. But the queen happened to be close by and she remembered this man named Daniel. Now, some Bible scholars tell us that this queen may have been King Nebuchadnezzar's wife, 
who is now passed on. But, but this could be the widow of King Nebuchadnezzar. So perhaps Belshazzar's grandmother, we're not sure. So she remembers Daniel interacting with Nebuchadnezzar and how he had helped her husband, Nebuchadnezzar, interpret some of these dreams. So Daniel is now summoned to the palace to meet with Belshazzar and interpret his dreams. We'll jump to verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise man and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in, a purple, uh, clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. So Daniel, Daniel is saying, hey, just keep your gold clothes, keep your gifts, keep your gold chains, give them to someone else. I'm gonna tell you what the message says and you're probably not gonna like it. Then you can read on when you have time. But, but Daniel proceeds to tell him about his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. He told uh, how it was God that allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to rise to this powerful position of prominence. Then Daniel tells him about the story that we read about last week. How when King Nebuchadnezzar thought so highly of himself, all of a sudden... He was banished to the wilderness where he lived in insanity and like a wild animal for a period of time. And now Belshazzar is following his predecessor's example. He too is now living with the Babylon mentality. He is mocking God, mocking the things of God, and his pride is about to catch up to him. He knew the stories of Nebuchadnezzar and how God had rescued him, but instead of learning from them and humbling himself, he chose to dishonor God. And that seems true in every culture, doesn't it? We seem to forget about our ancestors and those who have gone before us that set aside their lives for the things of the Lord. We used to be a nation who honored God and the things of God. We had the Ten Commandments on the walls of our school, on the walls of our courthouses and our state houses. In public schools, they used to open every day praying in the name of Jesus. But we've banished him from all of that. So instead, well, like Belshazzar, instead of learning from those who have gone before us, we think we've got it all figured out. Those old fogies, they don't know what they were doing. We don't need God. We've got this. That was Belshazzar's posture. So let's jump down to verse number 22. This is Daniel speaking to the king still. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. You knew all about this, but yet you refused to humble yourself. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. 
You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And we'll look at that interpretation. We'll look at that inscription in just a few minutes. But you may know that many of today's popular phrases and sayings actually come from the Bible. You probably knew that. Like, can a leopard change its spots? That came from the Bible. Uh, Scapegoat, the term scapegoat, that came from the Bible as well. Cast the first stone, bite the dust, or ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Or for everything, there is a season. All of this is from Scripture, isn't it? Or or, uh, how about signs of the times, or go the extra mile, eat, drink, be merry. And of course, the one that we are looking at today the handwriting's on the wall. We all know what that means. When someone says the handwriting's on the wall, that means there is imminent doom. Everyone knows that disaster is about to take place. And so let's look at that handwriting and what it said specifically and how Daniel interpreted it. Verse 25, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean. Daniel goes on to say, mene, which means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So Belshazzar was right to be scared, wasn't he? God was pronouncing doom and judgment on him and his kingdom. And so for the remainder of our time together, I want to real quickly look at these three prophetic words that Daniel gave to Belshazzar. And it not only applies to him, but it applies to all of us today, anyone who does not honor God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that first word again that that Daniel interpreted is mene. That means numbered. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. It is interpreted numbered. And he actually wrote it twice. Mene, mene, almost as to emphasize the fact that your days are numbered. Don't forget it. And it it goes for us today as well. Our days are numbered. We are not promised tomorrow. You can ask Kobe Bryant, or Princess Diana, or Betty White, or Bob Saget. We are not promised tomorrow. The writer of Hebrews put it like this, people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Now listen, we we all know this fact, but we rarely live our lives with this in mind. One of Belshazzar's greatest sins is that he wasted his life. He thought he, thought he had all the time in the world. I'm young, fearless, I'm on top of the world. He didn't stop and, and realize that in light of eternity, 
His life is just a breath, just a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. That's a good lesson for us today. If we could just live with this in mind that our days are numbered, we'd probably make better decisions, wouldn't we? We'd probably use our time a little more wisely. We'd probably use our resources better. We wouldn't waste it on things that don't matter. There's a country song that Tim McGraw sings. Y'all don't have to admit if you like country music. I know there's some closet country music fans out there. But he wrote a song called Live Like You Were Dying. Anybody heard that song? Yeah. What if you knew that you only had a a certain amount of time left in this world? Well, Tim said that I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named... Come on now. (laughs) Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. I'm not advocating that we go to the rodeo, by the way, (laughs) and find a bull named Fu Manchu. If you're young and you're healthy, you think you've got all the world in front of you. If your bank account has quite a bit of money, you think you're doing good. Your fridge is full, your pantry is overflowing. You don't even think about where your next meal is coming from. But when that bank account gets closer and closer to zero, you you start living a little bit differently, don't you? You start pinching pennies a little more. When you see your fridge and pantry running out of food, you you live live a little bit different. You ration your food and try to stretch it out. When we realize that we have limitations, that our life is finite, we tend to make better decisions. But remember, culture, they keep wanting to distract us, keep deceiving us to think that, hey, you're going to live forever. There's, there's plenty of time. So just live it up. You do you. Go sow your wild oats. You have nothing to worry about. That is a very dangerous mentality. And what we're doing today is we're exposing culture strategy, their strategy to deceive us and to distract us. Rather, we should live with clarity and focus on the right things, keeping the main thing the main thing, and that's keeping Jesus at the center of our lives. If Belshazzar had lived with that perspective, the last thing he would have done is called for the gold and silver goblets. The last thing he would have done is desecrated those things that were set apart as sacred unto the Lord. The last thing he would have done was mock God. But you know, for him, time ran out. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, history tells us that the Medo-Persian army took over Babylon like with little to no resistance. It's like they just walked in and and took over the kingdom. Uh, The people probably just said, hey, here you go. We're kind of sick and tired of Belshazzar and all of his tyrannical behavior. For Belshazzar, it was game over. His time ran out. And one day, my time's going to run out. I don't know when. One day your time is going to run out. And we're going to stand before God and hear one of two things. We're going to hear, well done, 
good job, son, good job, daughter. Or you're gonna hear, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I don't even know you. Now, while we don't like to think about death, you know, it's been said there's only two things for certain in life, right? Death and taxes, right? We don't like to think about death, but we would be wise to consider how we live our lives. Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King and his life. He said this, the time is always right to do what is right. It's always a good time to do the right thing. So we should live with a sense of purpose today. We should live with passion for the Lord today. We should put first things first today. That first was mene, mene, your days are numbered. Second word is this, tekel, and that means weighed. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. I wonder if our lives were weighed today, what the scales would say. I wonder if the scales would reveal that our life has been in balance or out of balance. I wonder how we would spend our time if, we, if it revealed that, you know what, your time's kind of been out of balance. Your resources have been out of balance. Your priorities are out of balance. I wonder how your spouse would answer that question. Hey, spouse, hey, honey, your, your life's a little bit out of balance in this one area. What would your kids say? What would those that are close to you, your family, your friends, if you were put on life's scales, would you be in balance? Would you be out of balance? I know for me this is very convicting to think about. I know which things should be priority. We all do. We know those things that should be priority. Those, those, those things that are of eternal value, not temporary value. But, but how many of those things have we put aside? Those things that should be sacred and set before the Lord, we put aside for, for, for the temporary things. You know what? I think I'll work overtime just one more time. We could use the extra money. You know, I think I'll get that, that new truck, that new toy this year. Or, you know, surfing the internet instead of reading the Bible. Mindlessly scrolling through Facebook when we should be spending time with family. Another weekend of pleasure when we really should be making God's house a priority. No one on their deathbed is going to say, man, I wish I would have just spent one more hour of overtime work. <laughs> I wish I would have made one more trip to Costco to get those treats. The problem is culture presents with, to us all of these choices and distractions. Culture distracts us with all these other things like there's so many places that we can go eat. Where are we going to go today? What things are we going to do? I, I got to make sure to check in on all my social media platforms. They distract us with all these things. What am I going to wear? When am I going to go shopping again? Who's going to go with me when I go shopping again? So many choices, so many distractions from culture. And culture will convince us that you've got all the time in the world. There's time for you to accomplish it all. You can do it all. And when we fall for it, we, we find ourselves exhausted 
lacking sleep. We, we find ourselves with poor nutrition and we find ourselves having no time to, to relax, spend time with the Lord, worshiping and praying and, and growing and learning more about Him. God never intended for you and me to live under that kind of pressure. That's not living your best life. That's falling for the distractions and the deception of culture. So what would it look like for you and I to eliminate those things that would distract us from a closer relationship with him? What things in your life do you need to purge today? Those temporary things that are keeping you from the eternal things. Solomon said this, in Ecclesiastes, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What's he saying here? Less is more. Instead of pursuing that second handful, just be content with the one handful. When you pursue that second handful, it's just going to bring you a bunch of stress and heartaches and headaches anyways. We think all of those things are going to bring, if I can just get that raise, if I can get that one more thing, it's going to bring happiness this time. But inevitably, it leaves us wanting more. It leaves us with a void, and it leaves us exhausted and unsatisfied. Our lives actually function best in their God-given design, not culture-driven demands. We need to have the wisdom and discernment to know the difference, right, between God-given design, what you were created for, weighed against culture's driven demands. We need less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. We need less of what culture has to offer and more of what God has to offer. Belshazzar's life was out of balance. Let's not follow his example. Then the third word, parson. Parson just means divided. For Belshazzar, this meant that his kingdom was divided and handed over to his enemies. Now, real quick, I want you to notice the difference between this story today and the story we read about last week from the previous chapter, chapter 4. There's a difference between how Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar are responding. Nebuchadnezzar, like Belshazzar, he was full of pride and arrogance. He thought he was the stuff, but he eventually surrendered to the Lord. He eventually recognized and acknowledged the God as the one true God, and that everything that he possessed, everything he accomplished, only came from his hand. Now, for Belshazzar, we don't know how many opportunities he was given. We don't know how many chances he had before this story. But what we do know is for him, it was too late. The handwriting was on the wall, the verdict was in, and he was found guilty. Joel puts it like this. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Turn to me now while there is still time. 2 Corinthians 6 says, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another day. Don't waste another moment. Today is a good day to get right with the Lord. Now is the time to surrender to him. Culture is going to tell you, they're going to deceive you and distract you. You've got all the time in the world. You've got tomorrow. You've got the next day. Live it up. Eat, drink, be merry. 
But let's not fall for that deception. Let's not fall for that trick. Let's dare to be a Daniel who will stand firm in our faith, knowing that Jesus is always with us. Amen, everybody? Amen. I'm just going to ask you right there in your seat, bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I know some of you have to leave. If you do, please do it very quietly. The Spirit of God is dealing with hearts right now. We don't want to let this moment pass without you doing business with God. So here's a question for you. If God were to write on the walls of your life, what would he say? What would the message on the wall reveal in your life? Would it say, good job, well done? Or would it be like Belshazzar, I'm sorry, time's up. You're done, depart from me, I don't even know you. I just wanna give you an opportunity right now to get things right with the Lord. We just read, now is a good time to make things right with God. Well, how do I do that? Well, just acknowledge Jesus as the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, the way. There's only one way to the fathers. There's only one way to salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Surrender to him. Today is a good day for salvation. And in fact, if that's you today, you're in this room, and you're not sure if your time was to be up today, if you're right with God. But you want to make sure that you're right with the Lord. I'm just going to ask you right there. No one's looking around. Would you just lift your hand and hold it there for a moment? Would you raise your hand and hold it there? I want to make sure that I'm right with God. Yes, lots of hands. Here's, all, here's what you have to do. Just say something like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I have fallen for culture's lies and deception and distractions. I've been living life for myself. And right now I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my salvation. And right now I invite you to be the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I will live for you. If you said that prayer, we believe that you are now a follower of Jesus. Let us know. There's a connection card in the seat pocket in front of you. In just a few moments, there's going to be prayer team members up here. You can let one of them know. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. But before you go, no one's looking around. Second response for us today. You might say, hey, I know the Lord. I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven. I know Jesus loves me. I'm serving him, I'm loving him, but you know what? Just to be honest, some things have gotten kind of out of whack. If, if my life were to be put on the scales, it would say I'm kind of out of balance in some areas. If that's you and you need to make some adjustments in your priorities, you've been focusing on the temporary, not so much the eternal, the things that culture has to offer instead of the things that God has to offer, if that's you, and you want to do some business with God and do some realignment of your priorities, would you do what they just did? No one's looking around. Just raise your hand. My hand's up first. I'm, I'm, being, I'm just being real today. This is good for me. Thank you. Thank you. Now, just take a moment, whether you lifted your hands or not, 
just take a moment and do business with God right there in your seat. Let the word of God just wash you and cleanse you. That's the thing about the word of God. It's, it's full of grace, but it's also full of truth. It's full of love and compassion, but it can cut us. But you know what? It also heals us. It washes us clean. So can you just do business with the Lord right now? Just take a moment. Ask the Lord to forgive you of whatever those things have gotten in the way. Realign your priorities. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we've let other things, things that don't really matter, things of this world, things from culture, distract us from making you our priority. Lord, you're, you're not looking for someone who just attends church on a regular basis on Sunday. You're looking for someone who's all in every day. Lord, I pray that that would be us. I pray that you would see your church right here on Woodsboro Pike on 194, a church full of people who are following hard after you. We are in the culture. We're not of it. We love the people of the culture, but we don't have to look like the culture. Help us, Jesus, to realign our priorities. Lord, I just pray for less of me, more of you. Come on, make that your prayer. Less of me, more of you, Jesus. Less of me, more of you. Come on, all of the room, can we stand together? As you're standing, the prayer team is going to come forward. Pastor Sean's going to lead us in a song of dedication. But can we just take a moment before you leave? Come on, let's sing out together with the team now.